For the last couple of months, we have journeyed through the Gospel of Luke, and now we come to his second volume, the book of Acts. And the idea is that what began in Jesus now continues in the church, or at least we hope. Uh, The passage today starts at the end of chapter 4 of Acts and continues into the first part of chapter 5. Now the whole group of those who believed were of one heart and soul. And no one claimed private ownership of any possessions, but everything they owned was held in common. With great power, the apostles gave their testimony to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus, and great grace was upon them all. There was not a needy person among them. For as many as owned lands or houses sold them and brought the proceeds of what was sold. They laid it at the apostles' feet, and it was distributed to each as any had need. There was a Levite, a native of Cyprus, Joseph, to whom the apostles gave the name Barnabas, which means son of encouragement. He sold a field that belonged to him, then brought the money and laid it at the apostles' feet. But a man named Ananias, with the consent of his wife Sapphira, sold a piece of property. With his wife's knowledge, he kept back some of the proceeds and brought only a part and laid it at the apostles' feet. Ananias, Peter asked, why has Satan filled your heart to lie to the Holy Spirit and to keep back part of the proceeds of the land? While it remained unsold, did it not remain your own? And after it was sold, were not the proceeds at your disposal? How is it that you have contrived this deed in your heart? You did not lie to us, but to God. Now when Ananias heard these words, he fell down and died. And great fear seized all who heard of it. The young men came and wrapped up his body, then carried him out and buried him. After an interval of about three hours, his wife came in, not knowing what had happened. Peter said to her, tell me whether you and your husband sold the land for such and such a price. And she said, yes, that was the price. Then Peter said to her, how is it that you have agreed together to put the spirit of the Lord to the test? Look, the feet of those who have buried your husband are at the door, and they will carry you out. Immediately, she fell down at his feet and died. When the young men came in, they found her dead, so they carried her out and buried her beside her husband. And great fear seized the whole church and all who heard of these things. Gulp. (laughs) I'm guessing this is not the story the stewardship team had in mind for the capital campaign. And I don't just mean the one here at Country Club, but the one in the first century of which Luke is writing. This is the church's first capital campaign. The book of Acts starts with two summaries. Luke tells the story of Pentecost, where thousands join, and then he has a summary of how things were going pretty well. Then in chapter 4, he gives us another summary, the one we read, and how things were going pretty well. They were taking care of each other. Or in other words, the pledge cards were coming in and the budget was balanced. And then he has to throw in this story. I mean, come on. This is a horrible story. You heard it. 
Luke says there was not a needy person among them, which is not to say they didn't let needy persons join. It was that when someone had a need, someone else who had the means would see to it. They, they would take care of it, like, like Barnabas. He had land. Maybe, maybe it was out on the lake, you know, that place where they were going to retire and build a house. But they decided, hey, let, let's sell it. Let's donate it to the church. Can you imagine the Sunday when that sack of coins is plopped down at the apostles' feet, everybody ooing and aahing? And maybe that's what gave Ananias and Sapphira the idea. Maybe those oohs and ahs caught their attention, and they hatched this scheme of selling their land, presenting it as if it were all of it, but holding some back. There would be a way to get recognition and yet hang on, but it didn't work. Peter called them down in church during the offering, and they died. I, I have never been in church where that happened. I'm guessing you haven't either. I was preaching out of town once. I'm pretty sure it was in South Dakota. And a man during the service had a heart attack. He was near the back in the aisle. You could hear the ambulance coming. And then, of course, shutting off, you could, the paramedics came in. They started attending to him right there in the church. And the host pastor kept saying to me, just pretend nothing's happening. <laughs> what? How, how do you do that? He said, if we don't pay any attention to it, no one else will. <laughs> Wrong. And that was just a heart attack. The man was fine, but this couple died in church. What do you make of that? Luke obviously never attended a church growth seminar. <laughs> he knew nothing about public relations. You just don't do this kind of thing. I know a church, smaller church, but in, in Des Moines, Iowa, if you're a first-time visitor, that afternoon someone from the church will come with a fresh-baked homemade pie. There are not enough pies in the world to overcome this, though. I mean, can you imagine? Yeah, yeah, we're from Country Club Christian Church. You know, over on Ward Parkway. Yes, I know. It's where the couple died during the offering. But here's a pie. <laughs> that, that'll never cut it. So what was Luke thinking? Well, there are lots of theories. Not many of them very good, to be honest. Some people say, well, it's just plain and simple. It's about the money. You either give or you get zapped by God kind of thing. I heard with a straight face, a TV preacher, silver-throated, with a straight face say, if you write a check for $1,000, I will stencil your name on the side of my jet. The man has a jet, and he'll stencil your name on it for $1,000. But if you don't write a check, well, I, I, can't, I can't vouch for where you stand with God. Some people like that theory, but Peter's explanation is so clear. You didn't have to sell the land, and when you did, you didn't have to give the money. There was nothing compulsory about it. It was the fact that they presented it this way. There is, there is nothing in stewardship, there is nothing in giving that is by guilt and fear. It is always generous. So some people say, well then what if it's more about the lying and the hypocrisy of it all, pretending to be something that they aren't. And, and maybe, maybe there is something about that. 
Guy de Maupassant, great French short story writer, tells a story called The Diamond Necklace. It's about this woman named Matilda who's eh, a commoner, but she longs, in her eyes, she longs to be more than a commoner. So she manages to marry somebody slightly above her station, but he's only mid-level in the government. But it comes with an invitation to the royal ball. So this is her moment to shine. So her husband scrimps together everything he can to buy her a suitable gown. And then she says, but I don't, I don't have the right necklace. Nothing worse than to look poor among rich women with beautiful necklaces. So they borrow one. She borrows one from a friend named Madame Forrester. Beautiful diamond necklace. And they go to the ball. And Matilda is, she's the life of the party. The men want to dance with her. The women are envious and jealous. And, and she just has a great time. And even when she gets back home, she's still sort of relishing in it all when she realizes it's missing. She has lost the necklace. They retrace their steps. It's gone. So they tell Madame Forster that the clasp has broken and that they're getting it repaired and, and it'll just be a matter of days. And, and then they find one to buy. They sell everything they have. They return the necklace and then for many long years work extra jobs to try and pay off the necklace. Ten years later, Matilda runs into Madame Forrester in the park. Madame Forrester doesn't even recognize her. She's so worn down. So she approaches her and she tells the story and she says, and we bought a necklace to replace yours. And, and with all the pride she can muster, she says, you never noticed, did you? She's so proud of herself. And that's when Madame Forrester says, my poor Matilda, my necklace was a fake. And maybe there is something like that. My poor Matilda seeking to be something that she wasn't. Maybe that's what Ananias and Sapphira were all about. But I don't think that is ultimately what this story is about. I think the key is in the last line. Verse 11. And great fear seized the whole church. It's not the word fear, although I get it. It's that little word church. This is the first time that Luke uses the word church. He writes an entire gospel, doesn't use the word church. Well, that's not so hard to do. It's about Jesus, right? But then he starts into Acts, and he tells the story of Pentecost, which we sometimes call the birthday of the church, but, but not Luke. He does not use the word church. Some English translations put it there, but it's not there. It's not until this happens that Luke says, I think it's time for the church word. Because... Church is about community. And they didn't get that. It's not individual, it's, it's the group. When I was in college, freshman, sophomore, something like that, I had a sociology class, and the professor came to class one day with an exercise. We thought it was a game, but she called it an exercise. Okay, she passes out the pieces of paper, and it's got 20 profiles of persons. A gay man in his 20s, scientist in his 40s, a mother and child, an older woman, you know, just that kind of thing. Break into groups, everybody break into groups and discuss this because here's what you're supposed to do. There are 20 persons and you're in a lifeboat, but it only holds 19. You have to figure, figure out who gets, who gets out. Well, you know, we start talking 
pretty quick, somebody says, ah, throw the gay guy out. Someone else says, he's in his 20s. What about the old lady? Someone else says, yeah, well, but that mother and the baby, how are we going to care for the baby and the life? And then eventually someone says, who cares about this anyway? It's just a game. We're just in a class. I wonder if the whole point of that was that if you ever get to the place where you can look out on community and say, well, here's who belongs and here's who doesn't, that you do not understand community. For all belong. So VBS rolls around. Rolls around every year, right? It's coming. And the teachers, they volunteer. Long day. Seems like about 18 hours. You know the kids, they're going and they're doing this. And they got sugar highs. And then there's crafts and there's stories. And at some point, they pass out pieces of paper and crayons. And they say, okay, boys and girls, we want you to draw a picture of our church. Draw a picture of our church. You can do it. And little hands start to scribble. They, they have these rectangles, maybe a cross on top. If they're really artistic and ambitious, something like this. And they draw for a while. And the teachers float around the room and they say, Oh, that's so good. Look at that. Oh, you do such good work. That's really pretty. And then after a while, one of them says, Now, boys and girls, you did such a good job of drawing our church building. But let me draw you a picture of our church. And and she's not sure they hear the difference. But she starts on a piece of paper to draw and they wonder, what's she drawing? And when she gets through, she picks it up and turns it around. And it's a picture of you. All of you. At this table. And with still room for more. And smiling, she says, this is the church.